Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Thursday of every month at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on October 18th, 2012. The theme of the evening was the horror. Your next storyteller is, uh, he used to be the editor for the sadly missed uh, Onion AV Club in Denver, for those of you who enjoyed that. He used to be the editor. Uh, he's still a writer and a huge zombie enthusiast. Please welcome Corey Cachado. Hi. So uh, I watched a lot of horror movies. Um, so when I heard that the theme was the horror, uh, that was where my mind went. Um, but uh, possibly as a result of watching so many horror movies, they're not particularly scary to me anymore. I think once you've seen like a thousand of them, uh, any fear that they might have once have held for you is just, it's, it's just gone. Like it just doesn't work anymore. Um, but despite that, I still enjoy them um, to the point that uh, every year uh, I watch actually 30 zombie movies uh, in a row, uh, one a day for a month. Um, it's my zombie movie marathon month. Uh, this is a tradition I started in 2008, uh, mostly because I was really poor, and uh, Blockbuster had a deal where you could get, uh, you could have one movie out at a time, uh, and you could just go and get as many as you wanted, and they had a shitload of zombie movies, so I decided I was going to watch every zombie movie that Blockbuster had, and uh, I did this with my teenage daughter. Um, uh, we would go every day, walk to the, the Blockbuster down the street, and uh, get a zombie movie, and watch these terrible, awful, unbelievably bad movies for the most part. Every once in a while, there'd be a decent one in there, you know, Dawn of the Dead, or... Uh, uh, something like that, but mostly they were unspeakably awful, um, but, not in, but not in a way that was, you know, good, like a horror movie should be unspeakably awful, just poor acting, poor dialogue, going nowhere, uh, etc. But it, it became a tradition because I am obsessive and things like that just happen to, you know, they, they stick with me and I just, I did it once so I had to do it again and again and again. And uh, uh, so this is actually a story about the second zombie movie marathon. Um, again, with my, my teenage daughter had uh, uh, was uh, with me. Uh, she was actually living with my grandparents at that point, uh, with her grandparents at that point, and uh, was visiting me for the summer. But uh, we got our movies and uh, sat down, you know, with a plan to watch uh, 30 movies. And we were doing a series of uh, we did a, a week of Italian zombie movies, which I don't know if you've watched a lot of zombie Ooh. movies, but <laughs> yeah, you know that the Italian ones get um, they get pretty fucked up. Um, <laughs> And uh, uh, we did a series a week of uh, Japanese uh, zombie movies, which if you're really into zombie movies, um, you realize that the Japanese give the Italians a run for their money. Um, so uh, during the, this is a, 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 about a movie there during the Japanese week that taught me the true meaning of horror. Um, it's a movie called Attack Girls Swim Team Versus the Undead. Uh, it's not a particularly good movie. Uh, but it is uh, uh, it's a very Japanese movie, which, again, if you know anything about the Japanese, if you know what the word hentai means, um, and when I say it's very Japanese, like you'll understand where I'm coming from here. Uh, and, uh, as, again, as I mentioned earlier, my, my daughter this is my teenage daughter. Uh, at this time, she was almost 16. Um, so we got this movie, Attack Girls Swim Team versus the Undead, and uh, put it on. And how many of you here remember... Uh, you having to use Cinemax for porn. Yeah. 
All right, so you remember you'd, you'd get the Cinemax guide, you'd get the cable guide or whatever, and you'd look through it, and you'd, you'd find the movies that say adult situations, uh, nudity, partial nudity, some sexual content, intense sexual content. And you'd stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning uh, after your parents go to bed, and, and you'd watch this, you know, two hours of this terrible movie for like 30 seconds of uh, very soft core uh, uh, porn. Um, but every once in a while, you'd hit the jackpot, and you'd find a movie that was... Essentially, like, you know, Emmanuel, that series was always really good for these. But you'd find one that was basically uh, was just pornography that they had somehow slapped a plot around and threw up. And, you, you know, those were the ones that really stuck out in your memory, the good ones. Well, this movie would have been one of the best Cinemax movies you have ever seen. Which, again, I did not realize this when we sat down to watch it. But to give you an idea of what uh, uh, some of the themes from this movie... Um, there was sex slavery. Uh, there was a creepy Japanese man in a silk sl- uh, suit who played a magical flute that controlled women's minds. <laughs> there was a swim team coach with a really inappropriate relationship to a bunch of teen uh, Japanese girls. Uh, there was a bunch of teen Japanese girls in swimsuits. And there was an entire lesbian schoolgirl incest subplot. There were also some zombies in the movie, but barely enough to actually qualify it as a zombie movie. There were more, there was more schoolgirl incest than there was zombies. Now, as you can imagine, watching this with my 16-year-old daughter was uncomfortable. Uh, we have a really good relationship. Uh, you know, she's um, she's more like a friend than a daughter in, in a lot of ways. Uh, now she's actually 19, so she's you know. Uh, we're still close and everything, but at the same time, there are certain things that you don't want to do with your teenage daughter, and watch a softcore porn <laughs> is definitely at the top of that list of things. <laughs> now, you might wonder why uh, uh, we didn't just shut this thing off, um, and part of it is just that awkwardness that you realize that you know while you're watching this thing and you're watching one schoolgirl twin go down on the other, and you know that your daughter's right there, and she's seeing the same twisted shit that you are, and you're like, I hope I'm not actually turned on by the movie, not the situation, but, but it, luckily it's so awkward that even if you would normally be turned on by it, you're definitely not actually turned on by it. And, and you can't really think of anything other than, like, if I actually reach up and turn this off, like, it's somehow going to be worse. It's the, the acknowledgement that, like, yes, we are watching a porn together, dear is somehow going to be worse than the actual watching of the porn. Now, in hindsight, I'm not sure that's actually true. But at the time, it definitely felt like that would be the case. Um, I also have this, again, with this obsessive thing, uh, because of these movies are so bad, so many of them, I do, we have a rule that once you start the movie, you do not shut the movie off. You watch the movie to the end of the credits, no matter what, no matter how bad it is, no matter, like, if you want to kill yourself... And suicide is frequently a theme in the movie, so sometimes you're just like, see, we could do that, and then we wouldn't have to watch the rest of this movie. But you do not shut the movie off, because that's not, part, you know, that's not fair. The only reason you can shut the movie off is that there aren't zombies in it. If it turns out that it was falsely advertised as a zombie movie, you can shut it off and go pick another movie. But there were zombies in it, unfortunately, so we couldn't shut it off. <laughs> so we watched... It, probably the movie is about 95 minutes, if I had to guess. It felt like about 295 minutes. We never spoke of it. Thank God. I'm sure it's Scarter. But what are you going to do? 
And that is a movie that taught me the true meaning of horror. Um, this next comedian is uh, one of my favorite stand-up comedians around town. She uh, created her own sketch group called uh, Ladyface, um, and she's a real treat. Please welcome Mara Wiles. Um, so I have never been one to have nightmares or dreams, really, any sort of mental activity in my sleep, because... Um, I just fall asleep. I can sleep anywhere, any position. Um, that's always been my thing. And, and growing up, I would be really jealous because I had these friends who would remember every detail of every dream they ever had. And they would come and tell me about it. And I would just be so jealous because they could remember these, like, marvelous dream worlds where they could experience anything. And they flew. And their dad was made out of gold. And I was like... All I do is drool on my pillow every single night, and that's not exciting to wake up to. Um, but just recently, I started having nightmares, really, really vivid nightmares. Um, and I am going to tell you guys uh, the reasons behind that. Uh, about four years ago, I got diagnosed with lupus, um, which not a lot of people know too much about, but it's an autoimmune disease. Uh, mine affects my kidneys. Um, this year, around January, my kidney function started to decline drastically. Uh, I had to start doing really invasive procedures. Uh, my doctor wanted to try a medication called Akthar that was used about 50 years ago for something with toddlers, like polio, I don't know. But I had to give myself shots of it once a week uh, in my thigh or my stomach. That didn't work. Uh, after that didn't work, uh, he had mentioned doing a chemotherapy called Cytoxin uh, once every other week. Um, which could cause infertility and other, you know, loss of hair. Just like any chemo drug, it's, you know, it's it causes a little damage. Um, but that ended up doing nothing. Uh, my lab results were getting worse and worse. My kidney function was declining more rapidly. I was feeling worse and worse. I could barely keep my eyes open. I was so tired because I wasn't getting the nutrients from my kidneys. They weren't processing things properly. Uh, so in July of this year, my doctor told me that uh, a kidney transplant was probably the, was the, the route for me, uh, for my health. Um, so hearing that was kind of already a lot to handle. Uh, I wasn't feeling good, and I was feeling worse and worse and worse. Uh, so we started the process of getting a kidney transplant started, uh, but then, then things just kind of happened too fast. I went to work one day and rubbed my nose, and my nose started to bleed nonstop. It wouldn't stop for four hours. I had to go to the emergency room uh, and was put in the hospital before really anything got going in our search for getting a kidney. And, and for those of you who know, it can take a while. Um, so when I was in the hospital the first time in August, I made the decision with my doctor to start dialysis, um, which is something a lot of old people do. <laughs> uh, not a lot of 27-year-olds are there. Um, the beginning of August, I got my first surgery, and I got these tubes, catheters put in my chest. I know, prop comic, right? Uh, <laughs> um, so that was a scary procedure. I'd never really had an invasive surgery before. Um, and it was, if anyone has ever had anything put into your body, that sticks out of your body, that can get caught on things, it's kind of freaky. It's a weird thing. Um, 
So that month of August, I decided to stop working. Uh, I work at an ad agency, plus I'm a stand-up comic on the side. Um, now a professional stand-up comic. Uh, but I decided to go on disability and take care of my health with the support of my family. Um, and then the beginning of September, I got another surgery uh, to get this catheter put in to do home dialysis. So I don't have to go in and get hooked up and get hemodialysis with a bunch of 65-year-old people watching Judge Joe Brown. Um, and that's really when the nightmares started um, to happen. When you have, uh, before I even got sick, I didn't even like taking that much medicine. I didn't even like taking it because it just felt like it wasn't supposed to be in your body. Um, and then after starting taking the shots and the chemo, it was all unsettling because it doesn't really feel like it's happening to you. And then when I got these put in, it's something in you, like man-made that isn't a part of you that's making, that's helping your body function. Uh, and like when your body quits on you, it's like, what up, man? I thought we were homies. <laughs> like, thought we were pals. thought we were close. And um, so when these got put in, that's when the nightmares really started. And it was, they were the kind that I woke up to thinking that, that someone had actually done all these things to me and that they'd come in. And the nightmares were like different things involving the catheters, like different crazy things that would never happen. But they were so vivid and so real, I woke up checking them every morning. It was like I was living in some sort of Freddy Krueger nightmare where his deal was trying to rip these things out of my chest. Um, I had one dream where I was getting hooked up to the machine and everything was normal and the texts were there and everything was protocol and all of a sudden some crazy tech comes in and is like, I'm going to put bleach in your machine. That should really clean you out. And I'm like, why? No, stop. <laughs> and then I'd wake up thinking I'd been bleached, you know. And then, and not in the good way, and then I had a dream where someone just, like, walked up to me on the street and just grabbed my stomach catheter and pulled it out. And, then it, it like, the pain I could even feel. So I was losing a lot of sleep because I kept having all these dreams. And they would be different every time. And sometimes they'd just be as simple as running into somebody, catching on my catheter, and then just walking away. <laughs> like, and not stopping and just keep... <laughs> I'm going to hang out with the bleach guy. Um, so I wasn't sleeping. I have, you know, you, you feel kind of violated. Like you're never, took me a while to really get used to having these because they're a part of you and they're, they kind of dangle, you know, they're all over the place. And um, the more I thought about these dreams, I've, I've kind of figured that it was kind of my way of, I guess, dealing with my fears of having this, um, illness at such a young age. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because I'm kind of dealing with my own, I mean, things are going good. And, you know, with all promises, I'm going to have a surgery by the end of this year. But I'm dealing with, like, I could die, you know? I mean, my kidneys are they're done. They're failed. Um, I've been in and out of the hospital all year. I've scared myself a lot of times because I had no idea what was going on and no control over my own body, which is kind of terrifying. 
so not only am I dealing with the fact that this could take away my life, but I was also dealing with the fact that it could take away my dreams I've wanted to pursue. You know, it makes you really tired to have kidney disease. It makes you have headaches all the time. It gives you cloudy thought. Your blood pressure's through the roof. You know, things aren't normal. Like, my doctor even told me I could, I have much chance of having a heart attack as a 90-year-old man because my blood pressure is so impaired from this. So I thought these dreams were a way of my subconscious kind of preparing me for the very worst. Like, if you can handle these freakish dreams, tearing you apart and giving you night terrors, and taking your sleep away from you and giving you bags in your eyes, then you can handle anything that might happen to you in this process. Um, so not only... So it was more like a battle, <laughs> um, and it still kind of is. It's still pretty recent, and it's still something I'm dealing with. Um, but I, I kind of thought of how the kids dealt with it in the Freddy Krueger m- movies. They, like, had to face Freddy and, like, you know, shoot him in the face or, like, shred him into, like, a paper shredder or burn him in the, the, the school, uh, what's it called, burner? I don't know. <laughs> Um, so, so I've kind of been, so I decided I'm going to just like embrace this whole thing. Like I hadn't been sharing a lot with people and I've been kind of keeping it to myself, but I decided if I'm really going to like take it head on, I've got to be completely aware and open of what my battle is. You know, um, it's really not people wanting to rip things out of my body, except for clothes, <laughs> off of it. Um, but it's, it's really me dealing with the fact that, like, I have to face my fears of death and um, my fears of maybe not getting to do everything I want to do right now, but believing that this isn't going to end anything. This is only just a part of my journey um, and that no matter what, I'm going to keep having my own dreams and uh, hopefully Ambien will take care of all those nightmares. So uh, thank you, guys. That was Mara Wiles. The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by the Denver Diatribe. Check out their weekly show at denverdiatribe.com. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl. Or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>